and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and I'm delighted to be joined by John Walsh. John is the co-founder of Lockstep Vendor Management Solutions, together with Barbara Castley, a localization outsourcing company that assists client-side localization teams to manage their vendor relationships more effectively. John is a localization expert. I know he specializes in enabling in-house teams to operate in a lean environment. John offers fractional localization team support, which means he augments in-house teams with localization professionals to set up and manage all their delivery operations. His goal is to allow in-house teams to focus on what matters most, such as market performance and customer experience interests of the industry and he's also advocating for favorable regulatory frameworks. John, you're very welcome to the show. Let's move on as I've got a number of questions I want to put to you today. Maybe could you start off with talking a little bit about fractional localization team support that I mentioned there? How does this work? How can it really help these in-house teams? And also uh, a bit about this lean environment. Yeah, absolutely. First, thanks for having me, Simon. Pleasure to be here. Um yeah, so I suppose this is kind of core to why Lockstep was set up. So we we founded Lockstep in June, July this year. So we're only a couple of months into it. Um, you know, looking at what's happened in the past couple of months within the tech industry, you've got massive redundancies, you've got the introduction of AI, you've got reorgs, everything. Localization teams are just being forced basically to operate in a much more lean environment when it comes to internal headcounts. So we came across this concept of the fractional team which is growing in popularity, which is basically allows organizations to pull in expertise, to augment, to infuse specialized talent without having to hire a team of five people or six people or whatever it might be. So that's why we wanted to set up Lockstep to really kind of help the localization teams bring in the talent they need without having a, a full-time dedicated head coach. You know, depending where you are in your company journey, if it's a, a startup environment, Headcount is precious. You want to make sure that you're putting it into what really matters most. And likewise, if you're even in a more mature organization, you might just not have the headcount or just more strategic places to put it in there. So where we really want to kind of come in and add value is to augment these teams and be able to give the expertise on like how to run the operations or like whether it's to provide the strategy and guidance or to actually do the day-to-day -day management of operations for the, for the teams. So we really want to kind of build out a team that would be kind of more usually seen in an in-house buyer side team as opposed to an LSP. So we're not trying to become the LSP. We're not a team of project managers to do the daily shifting of workload. We'd be setting up the processes, like whether it's finding a new TMS or finding a, you know, setting up, a, running an RFP to find the vendors to actually do the work for you. You know, really the in-house kind of strategic initiatives that, that people have under their list but they just don't have the bandwidth to get done so that's uh that's really where we can kind of come in and and add value and, and kind of help out the, the teams there that could be anything it could be two hours a week for a startup it could be multiple headcounts for a, a larger organization um you know it really depends on the customer on their needs their requirements we will be the ones that will flex for the, the customer needs so you know they're not stuck with a, an fte where they're only busy for part of the time you know so that's really where i think we're where we're trying to come in and solve that problem for, for our customers. And John, that, that's really interesting because we've seen sort of fractional 
approaches to work in other, you know, I, I hear of, you know, fractional CEOs or fractional sales directors or fractional marketing people or whatever. And so to bring this fractional localization support in, as you say, depending on what your client requires, seems um, very helpful, particularly at this time. You know, we're hearing terms like lean localization and we're hearing terms, you know, we do know in at the time of recording, some companies have unfortunately had to, you know, reduce their headcount somewhat. Uh, and we see that in the technology uh, sector as well, even outside of the language industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's always hiring, there's always letting people go. We have this sort of AI thing in the corner as well, which is gathering steam. But I wanted to maybe talk a little bit, uh, sort of adding on to what you're saying there about fractional localization support. Is this this sort of maturing of localization processes? Now, I'd be very interested to understand, and for our for our people watching and, and listening to this episode, how do you believe uh, that your approach can help companies achieve, achieve this sort of localization maturity aspect? Yeah, I mean it's. The maturity model, I think it's the CSA. I could be fact-checked on this one, but I think it was the CSA that came up with the, the maturity model from be a reactive team right through to, I think, transparency is the last one where localization is ingrained within the organization. And, you know, where there's a lot of talk about what to do to move through the maturity model. You know, work with your stakeholders, you know, report, like get get involved and get upstream early get involved in the design process, get localization, like really embedded within the, the process. So everybody talks about what to do, but nobody talks about how to do it. And again, that's kind of where we we feel we can come in. You know, when you're talking about localization program, you can have, you have the day-to-day workload that needs to be done. And that takes up headcount and bandwidth. But then you've got this strategic initiatives, you know, that you need to be running, as I said, whether it's running an RFP, you need to find new technology or you need to figure out how AI can plug in it just takes time. It takes bandwidth. It's very hard to hire somebody specifically <laughs> to come in and just do that one project. And again, that's where the fractional kind of approach will come in. We can be that extra pair of hands for customers, you know, run those, help either run those strategic initiatives directly or take somebody day-to-day operational overhead away from them to free up their own internal bandwidth. So Yeah, yeah it makes sense, uh, John. And I think that CSA research that you're for, referring to, that localization maturity model we see various companies don't we of all shapes and sizes that sort of start off at the bottom of that sort of pyramid and go we have no idea what we're doing here you know absolutely the, and it, the it's most not, advanced right it, it's not even you know there, there's companies that i've worked with and worked for in the past you assume they're far along they're not <laughs> you know it, you will always be surprised multiple times i've seen where somebody comes along and they say that they're building the foundations, you know, they're at stage one, we want to build the foundations and then they need to grow the scale. So they have to focus on scale and then they've realized they've scaled too fast or too much. And now they need to fix the foundations. Next thing you know, you're three or four years into your localization program and you're only starting to think about how do I engage with senior leadership? How do I add the value? How do I really kind of come in? And again, that's kind of where I think that we can really bring the value of like coming in and helping we will build your foundations. We will help on the operational side. We'll take the operational overhead off, off of you as a localization manager. You focus on how to get to steps four and five of that maturity model, how to engage with your leadership and your cross-functional teams and things like that. You know, and then it frees them up as well. You know, they can focus on the headcount, the skills gaps that they have in their team. 
you know, maybe they need a data analyst as opposed to another project manager because, you know, they can focus on all of these things knowing that we've got, you know, their best interests in mind and we're looking after today, today operations. They get a simple, you know, monthly MBR with us and we're telling them how everything is going on or a weekly update, whatever they prefer. And, you know, we're doing all of the legwork and managing their their operations, you know. So that that's really kind of where, where we can see like the fraction coming in. It's not a full, it may not be a full-time dedicated role. They may not have headcount to, to provide to that role. And that's where we can kind of come in and do it. Yeah, and I suppose through those monthly business reviews or weekly updates or whatever your client's requesting, there's an element of them also checking in, understanding how it's progressing. Yeah. And there's an element of learning in that. But something you said earlier that I just wanted to go back to, because I don't want to lose that thought, is the importance of the theory versus the practical and you're kind of touched on that when you're saying well you can have all the models and you can have the maturity in localization maturity index and you can understand what you need to do but actually doing it the actual process of doing it, it that seems to be where your sweet spot is you're not sort of replacing the lsp but you are helping people move from theory or aspirational goals in this area to well this is actually what you need to do on the ground am i right in saying that john 100 percent, and that's the thing i mean it's very hard to turn around and say you, you want to focus on the upstream, the performance of my content in market when your day to day bread and butter is your delivery model. And you can't take your eyes off that until you're confident that it's running smoothly and that it's running well. And that's where we kind of come in and make sure that it is running smoothly. The LSP, you know, our, our kind of mantra really is that we want to build win win relationships with our vendor, with, with the clients and with the vendors. And for everything to work well, you want your vendors to be performing well. Your client's localization manager has the trust that everything is being looked after. They can focus upstream. And ultimately, like there's multiple parts in play for localization team to be efficient and to work well and to be effective. So that's where we want to come in and kind of plug that gap, allow localization managers to focus on the strategy and the, the upstream, help your vendors to perform better, get more value out of them, you know, build those real win-win relationships and long-term relationships and partnerships. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about that because bridging the gap between the client, uh, your client, uh, the company and the vendors in the process can be quite a challenge, can't it? Cause you have the localization service provider. Uh, you also have a lot of tools providers out there. You have a lot of other sort of, we've seen a, a lot of technology companies getting involved in this sort of, uh, process as well so is there anything that you should do in particular to help people to bridge that gap between say the client and everybody else because there's a lot of people in the mix now or can be yeah there is <laughs> so i suppose i've been fortunate enough that like i've had i've worked on both sides of the industry i've you know worked as an account manager on the vendor side as project manager on the vendor side i've worked as a program and project manager on the client side as a vendor manager on the client side so I've got empathy for both sides. I've got the, the due, all due respect for both sides. They're completely different worlds and completely different, you know, needs and requirements and pressures and everything like that. You know, where again, where kind of where we want lockstep to come in and, and build those relationships is is to kind of keep the focus on the vendors, like and and keep the focus on on the clients at the same time. So telling the clients what the vendor is seeing, so they're working. They're the ones that are closest to your content. They're closest to your product making sure that that's been passed along, that the feedback is coming in, that, you know, if the content creation isn't great, making sure that that's getting there and feeling strong enough in ourselves to actually represent that view as well and push back as opposed to just being an LSP who may feel like 
just deal with it. That's your job. Just deal with it. You know, and I've seen that multiple times. It doesn't do anybody any favors. And then likewise, flip, flipping that across of a client may articulate their needs and requirements. Actually translating that into the, a deliverable from a vendor side can be quite, quite hard. You know, I speak a lot about, you know, localization managers need to learn the language of their stakeholders and their senior leadership. I also think the, the vendors need to learn the language of the localization manager and, you know, bridging that gap. And that's where we can come in. You know, we have straddled both sides of that industry. We sit in the middle. We will help, you know, articulate the needs and requirements, put them into plans and actions and really just make sure that we're kind of that both sides are operating well. You know, that is the best case scenario for everybody is when everybody is operating efficiently and effectively. That's that's where the most value is coming out of your program. No, I get that. That makes a lot of sense, John. And I suppose um, I don't want us to be accused of talking theory here either. So I'm going to ask <laughs> you, put you on the spot a little bit. I'm going to ask you for maybe an example about this sort of win-win approach because you're seeing it from both sides, right? You've got expertise in both sides. But as there been sort of partnerships that maybe you've built in the past and how you saw it adding that value to both parties? So the one that jumps to mind, and I won't name names for confidentiality, obviously. <laughs> um, so previous experience. So when I, I got involved, we had a vendor that was underperforming. You know, the, the sentiment from the in-house team was they're terrible. Let's offboard them. Kick off an RFP, you start to change. An RFP takes six months minimum, like to by the time you get through the process and everything like that. So in the meantime, we started looking at the vendor and we started looking and seeing, well, what is going on? Why is it broken? You know, we obviously don't want to replicate a broken process with a new vendor, whatever. So, you know, really stripped it apart and took the objective view on what was going on and, and mapped everything out in a visual format. And really, when you start to see it in a visual, it's like, well, that is chaos. That's carnage. Why is that happening? And it turned out to be more of a case by of a debt by a thousand razors as opposed to one huge issue that was happening. You know, when I say like that, basically stem from the customer client side was asking the vendor to do add this extra check. You know, there was a quality issue, so add an extra check. There's another issue, add that. There's another issue, add that. And the vendor just accepted it and received it and onboarded it. So all of a sudden you've got this really convoluted process. You've got a vendor that's doing checks that's eating into their margins. So they're not making the money. They have to cut corners somewhere else. They have to do, you know, all of these other things that are going on in the back end. I really kind of went in, stripped it back, had a look, really like the five whys is something that I always lean, jump to. It's uh, from the lean methodology, something a five-year-old would do. is just keep asking why. Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? And I really get down to the core of it. And when we fixed, we, we changed a lot on the what was happening on the client side before the vendor even got the work and really kind of changed the whole operations of what was going on. In doing so, we actually gave more responsibility, more ownership to the vendor to actually own the language, to actually own the process more. And that, like, the biggest outcome of all of that is, like, within six months, we started to see the turnaround with that vendor. Within nine months and 12 months, it was a complete 180. They were the strongest performing vendor. They were doing, like, the meeting all expectations. You know, it was a really, it really was a success story. But it just built the trust and it really changed the sentiment within the team internally as well, that, that that's the hardest thing to change as well, right? is that trust. It takes a long time to build that trust. But, you know, you could see that they were investing in it. You could see that they cared about the work. They cared about the project, about the client's relationship. And it really turned it around. So, you know, that 
it's uncomfortable. You have to have a lot of frank discussions with your client team, have a lot of frank discussions with your vendor team, <laughs> like what's what's gone wrong. It's your fault. It's their fault. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. You just need it to be working smoothly. And that's something, again, where Lockstep can come in. We're vendor agnostic. We don't have a, we kind of don't have skin in the game, so to speak, in terms of change of process. It's not going to impact us. It's more client, our, our vendor. So we're not covering our ass when we recommend something. We're, we're doing it for the greater good of the overall program and the process. You know, and that's kind of, we've taken those experiences, those types of experiences, and we're bringing them into lockstep. And we want to give them to our customers then. So, you know, rather than a customer going through and falling into the same pitfalls, we can help them remove those, avoid them, you know, and, and kind of get the best value out of, of their relationships with their vendors. That's a great a great example, and also I'll come back to 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 value as well because I, I wanted to ask you about adding value to your customers, to your clients, and the value that you can provide to prospective clients as well. So, you know whether that's getting more value from vendors, uh, like you were just maybe talking about, or maybe even streamlining some of those internal processes uh, that you were touching on. I mean, have you got any examples, uh, you know, maybe it's projects or things you've done in the past or things that you're working on at the moment? Again, you don't have to go into who the clients are or anything like that. Um, but just ways that you can help, you know, Lockstep can help people find these continuous improvements because it is a continuous improvement process, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Lo like localization as a rule just does not stand still. It's constantly moving, constantly evolving. You know, you've got marketing teams that will work on the newest and latest, uh, you know, platform to create their content. And you need to adapt to make that. Everything is always changing. AI is coming on. <laughs> That's changing everything. So I suppose where we where we add the value, like first and foremost, like our role is here to make the localization managers' lives easier, to help them to be the extra pair of hands, you know, help them get projects off the ground. We take the operational overhead. They can focus on the strategy on the in-house up, upstream. You know, as I said a while ago, they can hire the data, data analyst instead of another project manager. They can focus on performance. You know, when you look at metrics, you've got operational metrics, which is how is your program performing? You Like your vendors, are they on time, you know, time, cost, quality? But then you have your performance metrics. How is your content and your products performing in country? Is the user numbers, is customer satisfaction improving? Focus on that. So we can look after the operational the localization managers can look after the performance in parallel as opposed to getting all of this fixed first and then moving on to the second one. So that's kind of you know where first and foremost, I suppose, where we're where we want to add the value. And then more from a tactical point of view, like as I mentioned, we don't have skin in the game. If we want to, you know, we're not a tools provider, we're not a, an LSP. So if something needs to change, it's objective, it's for the better, greater good, you know, <laughs> we're our longevity as a company will come from being seen as adding value to our customers. And that's what we want to keep doing. You know, so if, if somebody sees value in us, they will keep us there. And that's the way we want to run our business. We've, it's funny enough, actually, for, for a new company, we've actually said no to customers twice already, um, <laughs> which when I was setting out to do this, I probably didn't think I was going to do, but there was no value in us getting involved. There was no value in the customer going down that road. So actually I feel as a somebody who used to buy these services, being told no is actually refreshing at times. You know, it's just not this yes, yes, yes. And all of a sudden in six months, you're trying to unpack it all because it's completely wrong direction. So we've already said no 
to two customers. So I hope they don't hold it against me that it is for their good that we've said said no as well. Um, you know, and that's like ultimately like that continuous improvement. Like when when we do get involved, we're looking at the day to day now, but we're also like the no's that we said no to was because we know from what our experience that in six to twelve months it's going to bite them in the ass. It's going to come back and it's going to reflect badly on us because we left it happen. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking at the day to day now, but also what's likely to happen in six or 12 months and make sure that we're trying to get out ahead of that and that the vendors are getting out ahead of that as well. So that, you know, when you scale and you take on new new content types or you take on new languages, all of a sudden your your process that worked well for four languages doesn't completely overrun you now that you've got 12. So, you know, that's really where we we look for the, the continuous improvements and the kind of long-term uh, efficiency of a program. So I, I just want to squeeze in two quick questions if I can, John. Um, I'm going to ask you in a moment if there's any th- sort of last thoughts you want to share with our audience. But before I get to that, I'm going to ask you uh, to go back to you about stakeholders and stakeholder engagement, if I can. Because obviously with Lockstep, you're you're sort of empowering these localization managers mm-hmm. or the people that are involved in various client companies to, you know, get the localization program effective and improving but also to manage could be managing the c the c-suite or explaining to other people throughout their company why things need to be done a certain way and some people uh, may struggle with managing stakeholders internally and externally and i'm just wondering if you've got any initial thoughts on that particularly at a time where you may have lost people in your language localization team at your company. Maybe a couple of senior people are no longer there and you're left sort of struggling with this stakeholder engagement. Uh, or maybe just in general, you know, maybe you're, you're low down on that localization maturity index and you're trying to help people understand where you're trying to get to. Have you any sort of thoughts on stakeholder engagement that you could share with us here today? Yeah, I think it does come back to that maturity model that I mentioned earlier of, you know, you do need to you need to learn the language of your stakeholders, learn the language of your C-suite. Like what are they? One of the things that I heard recently in, in another podcast or talk, and it really kind of summarizes it is like in localization teams, we talk about how we're doing in, in German, but C-suite are asking how are we doing in Germany? Like how are we doing in the country? And that's really where you need to pivot your conversation of like, how is your product performing? Are you are you growing at the same rate as your other language as your the other markets? Are you growing at the same rate as English? What's your user experience like or your lead generation or whatever is most important for your company? You really need to understand your market mm-hmm. fit and like for that for that language and for that market. And that's where localization teams need to pivot and think more about international performance and growth as opposed to language performance. Um, you know, obviously language performance is important, but that's your bread and butter. That's expected. That's <laughs> nobody would commend you for you know, getting your, your language right. That's baseline expect- expectations you know that's where you really need to grow your your kind of the language that you're speaking to your stakeholders and to your leadership and start to learn what's important to them and translate your efforts into that language thanks for sharing that john because i know that's a that's a hot topic at the moment for for quite a few uh, clients in terms of that stakeholder engagement it's really an important element yeah. so thanks for sharing your thoughts on that so look i'm i'm going to wrap up by asking you if there's any sort of last thoughts or anything else you'd like to share with our audience today. And of course, 
where's the best place for people to connect with yourself, John or Barbara and the, the lockstep team, if they're interested in finding out more? Yeah. Um, I suppose in terms of last thoughts, I've probably done more research or an outreach within the localization industry in the past two, three months than I have in the past decade. So obviously founding this company, there's a lot I needed to figure out. Is this just in my head or is there actually a viable business model here? Right. So spoke to a lot of people, listened to a lot of podcasts and talks, read a lot of articles. And the one thing that's common across the conversations, across all of research, is that the role of the localization manager, the role of the localization team is changing. And whether that's being forced upon you by reorgs or downsizing within companies or it's the introduction of AI, people need to be more efficient. They need to be, you know, more like leaner, everything like that that we've spoken about already. But it is changing. So basically, like my kind of thinking on the industry right now is that what worked last year, what worked two or three years ago is not going to work next year or two years time. So I think the role, like if I was in, in the shoes of a localization manager right now, I'd be trying to identify what, what skills gaps are in my team. You know, what do I need to bring into the team to, you know, push us along that maturity model to get further buy-in upstream or, you know, get, get buy-in from executives, not be seen as a delivery center, you know, adding that real value and be seen as like a real value add to the company as opposed to a cost center. Um, you know, how do you do that? Start to carve out that time, find that bandwidth, start to think through it, plan it out, you know, what are the leadership looking for now? What are they likely to start changing the conversation to in, in six months' time if it's AI? Or like, where is it going to implement? There's a huge challenge ahead of people right now. So it's it's kind of sink or swim. It's either embrace it and, and kind of move with it or, or kind of be left and seen as the delivery center that, you know, ultimately I don't think anybody really wants to be seen to. Um, as for getting in touch, get in touch with myself directly on LinkedIn, John Walsh on LinkedIn. Um, or lockstepvms.com we've got a nice nice new website up there kind of giving a bit more detail about what what we offer and how like kind of our values and our mantra about how how we engage with our customers and and what we want to bring to them um but yeah feel free to reach out and we're obviously more than happy to to help anybody regardless of where they're at in their journey i think we can we can plug in and add value well thank you john that brings us nicely to the end of today's show uh, with John Walsh. Uh, please make sure to tune in again to see and or listen to our next Vista Talk show, where once again, we'll be discussing some interesting topics with interesting people, just like John uh, from all around the world. And do make sure you go out and check out everything that John and Barbara are doing over at Lockstep. Uh, they really are making a difference to some of those leading clients around the world. So go and check out Lockstep. Thank you, John. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks, Simon. Good luck.